Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And uh, today's episode is a bit of a special treat. Uh, yeah. We uh, just sat down yesterday and we interviewed uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who, in addition to being an accomplished astrophysicist, is pretty much a science superstar. Yeah, he's everywhere, and I'm sure uh, people have probably seen him on uh, Colbert or Jon Stewart, recently on Bill Maher. Yeah, um, he's been on Nova, like, all the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, he's, he'll basically, he is the least uh, camera-shy scientist I've ever heard of. Like, he's just a huge extrovert, he, I and mean, he's an amazing dude and a great advocate for science, and has a real talent for, for taking this stuff down and just and talking about science uh uh, in a way that his intended audience can really understand it. Be that intended audience, um, you know, the average Joe, the the uh, listener, uh, I mean, a what viewer of The Daily Show, or a politician looking to pass some sort of bill. So, yeah, we were very excited to be able to get on the phone with him and ask him some questions about what he's been up to and his thoughts on science and uh, where it is, the state of it. So to speak. All right, so let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into it here. The uh, first question we had for Dr. Tyson had to do with the fact that uh, there is a new Cosmos television show coming in uh, what 2013. So it's going to be a, a little little ways off. But uh, Cosmos is, of course, the classic Carl Sagan show that uh, can, just continues to, uh, to to have a big influence on, uh, on on people. Like people who grew up watching the show were just really inspired about science and about the universe and cosmology, and just a just a really beautiful show. And so they're they're bringing it back. Tyson is the new host, and so we had to ask him about uh, stepping in and filling Carl Sagan's shoes. It's a 21st century version of Cosmos, conceived as though it was the first time. It would it would be aired. However, we already know. But what I mean by that is, there's a lot of issues and uh, science frontiers and cultural social um, dimensions to uh, the relationship of science to society that matter today more or differently than they mattered 31 years ago. Okay, so we couldn't help it, but we had to ask. <laughs> You're probably not going to wear a turtleneck then in the new cosmos. <laughs> Uh, you know, if I do, it would be some sort of backdoor homage to Carl. Uh, but there are other ways we we can think of honoring him uh, without the turtleneck. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I was a big turtleneck wearer in my day. But right, these are other days that we're talking about, and so uh, so we'll. Uh, and my my wardrobe is not yet determined. Actually, we have to consult people who think deeply about this sort of thing. So he got a big kick out of that. I'm glad yeah. you asked him about the sweater. I wanted to, to ask him, it was very intimidating talking to him, I wanted to ask him uh, whether he would have his own spaceship in the show, like uh, like Sagan had, but, um, you know, like he said, they're still not even sure exactly what he's going to be wearing in this, so perhaps those decisions have That's not been right. made yet. That's right. The yeah. best minds are on it, though. So uh, we also wanted to ask him some, some more hardcore science questions here. We were particularly interested what Tyson's take on this question would be. If he had... had uh, Unlimited funding at his disposal. What two large-scale astrophysics projects uh, would he like to see realized and why? He had uh, a pretty awesome answer, and here's what his answer was. We still don't know enough about the structural integrity of asteroids to, to, to claim that we have any clue about how to deflect them or to destroy them or to mitigate what would otherwise be an extinction-level uh, catastrophe on Earth, something that's happened before. So I would do all of the above. 
So, so you know what NASA would be? NASA would be like a, a space depot. And you'd go there and say, okay, I need to go to an asteroid that's orbiting beyond Mars. And you would assemble the rocket propulsion elements to, to, your, to your spacecraft necessary to reach that goal. Right? So it's like choosing what kind of fuel tank and what kind of supplies, and you pack it up and then you go. And so it's not, let's only go to this one destination and that will be what we, that, that'll be the mission. No, all of space should be the mission. Otherwise, it's, it's a one, it, they're all one-offs. You know, if expansion of human presence were all one-offs, we would all explore and then go back into the cave and say, okay, we did that, uh, let's think of something different to do. But of course, the history of our species is one where we explore, we pitch tent, and then we explore from there and find ways to survive. And, and our species has thrived because of this fact. And space is simply another frontier where I had full expectations that we'd continue the way we have. So I thought that was uh, very thoughtful in talking about uh, space as more of a cohesive mission, uh, exploring space, and that we shouldn't necessarily have these one-offs. And I really like this this idea that we, we don't just stop, you know, we just don't go back to our caves and stop thinking about these things and stop exploring. Yeah. Um, and, and that NASA should be like a... Uh... Uh, you know, a, a, a Home Depot for space travel. That I thought was yeah. pretty great. And I could see like the little orange uh, <laughs> vests or whatever they wear. Um, and how cool would that be to go and get your space parts there? Uh, but, you know, this sort of begged the question or, or made us think a little bit more about funding and how we are hamstrung by that currently in our environment. Uh, we don't necessarily have all the funding at our disposal. So we wanted to ask him about... Uh, the, this sort of unfortunate state of funding for space exploration. And we had wondered if he thought it was just a current political zeitgeist or uh, if we're just not doing a good enough job of explaining why space exploration is important. And this is what he had to say about it. Space exploration should be funded, not for any normal reason that's given. In fact, I have a book coming out in February, which was originally titled Failure to Launch the dreams and delusions of space enthusiasts, but the publisher felt the title was too depressing. So we came up with a less depressing title. And what it will appear in the form of uh, a book titled Space Chronicles. It's every thought I've ever had about our past, present, and future in space. And out of that comes certain realizations that we've never gone into space because it's a frontier or because it's to explore or because there's scientific discoveries to be had. We've never gone into space with the MAN program for that reason. The MAN program is the lion's share of the cost of space exploration. So, and in fact, we've never gone into space without humans above a certain cost level because there's a radar level below which you can fund almost any science you want. And that's a function of, of how wealthy the nation is that's conducting the activity. The Hubble telescope, for example. That's essentially just at the limit, a little bit below the funding radar. You can get multi-billion dollar projects funded over the years. But when you're up around $10 billion, $20 billion, $30 billion, that's where discovery and it's our mission, it's in our DNA, none of that works. None of it. Or at least the history of the funding of expensive projects of our species and all cultures and all civilizations, there is no evidence that we have ever responded positively 
to those kinds of drivers. The only drivers that really stimulate people to spend money is war and economics and a third one, which is less common today, the praise of royalty or deity. There was a day when you could use, you can evoke one or both of those and you can get anything done. That's how you get the pyramids and all the, the church building in Europe, the cathedrals of England, this sort of thing. You could do that if there's a power above you that you fear or that you want to praise to, 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 for your protection. So, but that doesn't happen much anymore. That leaves war and economics. We went to the moon because we were at war. We choose not to remember it that way, but that was the driver. And But we remember it as though it was, we're Americans, of course we're going to explore. Without the war driver, it would have never happened. And so that's the blunt realization of it. So to say, let's become a spacefaring nation, if, it is, if, it is, if the arguments are absent these other drivers, then you would have to assert that we are a fundamentally different kind of civilization from all civilizations that have ever preceded us. So I found that really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the idea that, that, uh, that for modern society, the big driver of, of this kind of advancement and what we would need for, like, really hardcore investment in space exploration is, uh, you know, the economic uh, incentive or the war incentive. incentive. So on one level, I, I couldn't help but think, well, what we need to do is fake an interplanetary war. Like we need to roll out the war of the world's hoax right. for real. Yeah. And then people will be like, oh, my goodness, there's an alien race that wants to destroy us. Yes, let's invest in space because there's a lot at stake here. This is war. This is serious. This is what humans are all about. Um, you know, let's let's work on those battle cruisers. Yeah, but then all of a sudden you're rolling out SETI and they're space lawyers, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it gets a little bit more complicated. The space than that. lawyers always complicate things. Um, the other thing that, that really fascinated me, we've, we've talked before uh, uh, about the topic of religion in space. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've blogged about it. And I actually did a, uh, an accompanying blog post for this podcast mm-hmm. for Discovery Space where I talked about this a little. But the idea that, like, what if you had to create a religion for space? Now, and for some people, that's completely ridiculous because because science science is king in space exploration. There's no room for religion, right? That's that's certainly a that's a valid argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other side of the argument that I'm not I'm not necessarily saying like this is what we need to do, but it's interesting sort of thought process is what if we created a religion to make uh, to, to make support. Space, to support space exploration? Like I was talking to a friend of mine, this guy uh, Andy, who's a game designer and he works with space themes, sort of space opera mm-hmm. projects. And so he, he was arguing that like, all right, in space exploration, space travel, you know, the details are important. Everything's got to be ironed down. You got to be disciplined. So you need some sort of like really dogmatic religion that's going to inspire that. You know, you have to, uh, this is your duty. This is, you know, you've got to uh, play is it by it the numbers. Is it fear-based though? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think on, on a certain level, any kind of space exploration is going to be fear-based because if you mess up, you're going to die. Okay. But uh, he was talking about like just, you know, really regimented kind of like uber, you know, Catholic kind of a, a space religion or something. Um, Very heavily ritualized. Right. And we've talked scheduled. About, yeah. And organized. We, and we've talked about in the past, uh, you know, uh, people who've been inspired by, say, um, the uh, Church of uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the, mm-hmm. the fact that uh, that faith has space already factored into it. And mm-hmm. therefore, for some individuals, that has been a driving force for them. So, But what Dr. Tyson said made me think about, all right, well, what if what if you created this religion to where where um, another huge part of it is by uh, exploring outer space, you are pleasing some uh, some deity <laughs> or even just some sort of divine king. 
and maybe your your everlasting soul is somehow tied up in the bargain. I know it's it's probably a little bit disingenuous. See, I just get I, I like to get a little bit more simplistic with it, and I just say let's just just call it Saganism, and we all wear <laughs> the turtle. Yeah, we all wear our turtlenecks, and we all support uh, space exploration. Yeah, and uh, and we can ritualize it as much as possible. Uh, you know, and to to make it feel like hey, this is. Let's do it for, for Carl Sagan. So like the priest sits down with you and says, look, you want to make your heavenly Sagan uh, happy, don't you? Well, exactly. you really need to apply yourself more in space exploration. And get a new turtleneck. Yeah. Because that one is getting a little dingy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know. It is, it is, uh, what I thought was interesting about what Tyson had to say is that he really is stripping away the, the reasons underneath why we do what we do. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the, the really, the, the driving point here in the argument is that the the reason we built the pyramids, these other great acts, because mm-hmm. the thing is, like humans, we know what humans can do, but we got to have some sort of motivation to do them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's like build a pyramid. Well, what are you going to do to make me do it? Are you, you know, maybe you're going to crack a whip or tell me about, uh, um, you know, the afterlife or some divine being. There have to be other uh, motivators there. And he's right. saying that the only ones left to us, for the most part, are war and economics because gods and god kings are not really as as much of a driving force in technological advancement these days. Well, and I just thought it was very refreshing that he said that to say, you know, okay, it is part of uh, space exploration is part of our national identity, but let's mm-hmm. just be real about it. This was driven by war. You yeah. know, it was driven by economics. Um And this is following this, what he said about frontiers and like the basic yeah. adventure, you know, spirit of man. So he's not denying that, but he's saying no. saying that that's this is all well and good, but you have to face the realities of actually seeing these big projects take off, you know, past that threshold. That talking right. About. And I, that's the rub, right? Because we can't help but to create as a species. And yet we have these drivers that um, that that are behind why, why we do what we do. Yeah. So, so my plan is we convince everyone that the devil lives on another planet and he's going to invade Earth <laughs> unless we team up with uh, a space god uh-huh. and start uh, getting serious about exploring the cosmos. You have got some elaborate plans, my yeah, friend. Yeah, we gotta we, we gotta push that through uh, Congress. Yeah. Um, but before we continue with the interview, we need to take a quick break. Uh, so we'll be right back right after this. This podcast is brought to you by Intel, the sponsors of Tomorrow, and the Discovery Channel. At Intel, we believe curiosity is the spark which drives innovation. Join us at curiosity.com and explore the answers to life's questions. And we're back. Well, let's get back to the interview. Uh, what was that? What was the next question that we had for Dr. Tyson? Well, it was a, a sort of a um, an idea about neuroscience and how uh, this this question about whether or not it's stolen any thunder from space exploration. In the sense that uh, people are so sort of taken with exploring the universe of their minds that perhaps they have moved away from space exploration. Uh, well, I mean, case in point, our podcast stuff to blow your mind, but. I haven't done a count, but I have a feeling we've done more uh, uh, episodes about the mind than we have about space. Yeah, and certainly, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the media and mm-hmm. neuroscience is, is a field that is just completely exploding. So uh, this was the question that we posed to Dr. Tyson. There's no comparison with regard to the funding that goes to space exploration versus the funding that goes to neuroscience. In other words, whatever thunder one might imagine it has taken away, the relative funding which is the most, the, the clearest measure of, of, of thunder one might have, uh, it's small. Neuroscience is pennies compared with space exploration. And by the way, if you look at the total space budget of the world, 
all money spent on space-related products and services, the NASA budget is a tiny fraction of that total money. If you add up all the total value of GPS and weather satellites and communication satellites, direct TV, satellite uh, radio, add it all up, what we actually spend on NASA is small. So, so as an enterprise, space is huge, and it's sort of permanently huge because it's worked its way into our daily lives in ways that some people today take for granted. People who saying we don't need the space exploration, but you know, it's, as it's has been stereotyped, the person, first person to say we don't need space exploration, and what do I need that for? I've got the Weather Channel, you know, and of course, where do you think it gets all its images of the hurricane en route to your town? You know, so so there's a lot that we all take for granted, and I, I, on some level, that's a good thing. It means it's a fundamental part of our culture. But the funding to extend it and to promote it, then need, the case needs to be made because people haven't thought about why they do it. They just do it. The human brain seems to only go from A to B. It doesn't know how to go from A to B, then to C, and then you get to D, and the D is the goal that you want. Those extra steps to fund a space program, to have that be a carrot for the smartest kids in the educational pipeline who then want to become biologists and chemists and aerospace engineers and astrophysicists and geologists because if you're a geologist and I say, well, you can study this rock face on Earth or this rock face on Mars, I'm going to get the best geologists because they're going to want to do it on Mars. I can say you can study this slime mold here on Earth where you can look for life that's never been found before in the aquifers of Mars. I'm going to get the best biologists. Space has a way of attracting the best people, because the best people want to work on the best problems, the hardest problems, the most interesting problems. And once that happens, you cre then you create the culture of science as something that a nation is engaged in that gets the respect of politicians, because they're the ones voting to fund it. And then it works its way into the moods and attitudes of teachers, of students, of parents. And science is no longer something to fear, it's something to embrace. Once you embrace this, then the culture creates STEM field people who, in their creativity, invent tomorrow. And that creativity births entire new economies for the 21st century. And that's what will keep a nation at the forefront. This whole jobs package that they're trying to promote now, it's, it's, it shouldn't be about jobs. It should be about frontier industries so that America can lead the world as it once did. Oh, by the way, those industries need jobs. It's not, let's get you back to work and then all will be fine. We can get you back to work. We can have a, a country of 100% working people, but we'd be dancing to the tune of everyone else who's actually innovating. And the innovators are the people who are the engineers, the scientists, the technologists, who see what is to come combined with what they know, and they invent something new to make tomorrow come. Once this happens, then the country's economy will boom. And this connection between space exploration and a booming economy, like I said, takes longer than an elevator ride. And it's not a direct connection, it's indirect. And I think therein is the challenge. So again, from Dr. Tyson, there's another uh, sobering look at what it takes to push science through the uh 
political system. Yeah, and uh, I believe that um, Dr. Tyson was at the World Science Festival's uh, Steven Weinberg keynote address. Yeah, you were there. Yeah, I was there, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he was in the audience. And so uh, we asked him about what Weinberg um, argued, that we need a new particle accelerator because it's necessary for for society to better understand the laws of nature. That, that's what Weinberg right. says. In particular, dark matter, because, you know, five, six of the universe is made up of it. And why not know more about that, right? Right. And, and just to clarify, because uh, we haven't really talked as much about particle colliders in this mm-hmm. podcast, but this is where you take uh, particles and you uh, speed them around this giant uh, facility, smash them into each other. They and when they break apart, you can learn about what composes them, and and therefore learn about the about what's happening with matter at its smallest uh, and briefest uh, points. Right, and what Weinberg said is we we really need something that is the more beefed up uh, superconductor than than what we have right now in CERN. Right. So, um, so it led us to to wonder about dark matter and how how we can get the general public interested in that. How could we relay to the general public that this is actually important to look into? How can we make it more personal? And um, this is what Dr. Tyson had to say. It won't trigger the funding, so I won't even I don't even go there. That's the delusion. The delusion is you just have to make the science case, and everyone will want to do it. I. Uh, the history of human behavior does not bear that out. And so the reason why particle physics was funded for 100 years in America was because the physicists who were engaged in that activity built bombs. It was the physics of our nuclear arsenal in the Cold War. So the illusion was that America was interested in physics research because we wanted to be on the frontier of discovery. The actual reason was that these are the people who won the Second World War for us and are creating the, the power that the geopolitics needed throughout the Cold War. So there is no, there is no argument. Th- that's my point. There's no right. argument. Right. Unless you can say, oh, at the other end of this, we've got a new weapon, and we're at war with somebody against whom we can use this weapon, it would get funded overnight. The original super collider was canceled. It was proposed in the mid-80s. Work began in the late 80s. It was canceled in the early 90s because a couple of years earlier, peace broke out in Europe. That's not what they'll tell you. They'll tell you, oh, because there's cost overruns and we just couldn't afford it in this climate. Okay, That's what they'll tell you. But there was no talk of cost overruns in the Manhattan Project. There was no talk of cost overruns in the Apollo program. Those are war projects, and when you're at war, money flows like rivers, period. And the sooner we understand this, the more relevant is any conversation we have about what's possible and what's not in a funding environment. Hmm. So if you want to make the case for the super collider, you make the case that you're going to be on the frontier with your technologies, and those technologies will influence a culture of other technologies that will stoke our economy. The economy has to be in there somewhere. The pure scientific discovery. And uh, Steve Weinberg is, in that sense, you've got to love him because he's like a pure academic, and he thinks academically, and the world shows, uh, appears to him through his academic filter. But at some point, a congressman has to vote, and why they vote is completely linked to what they think is in the interest of the wealth of the nation or the health of the nation, health as in national security. And they, and they can say whatever they want about discovery. 
but the actual drivers are not that. I wish they. I wish I was. It wasn't true. This is. These are my findings in my study of six thousand years of human culture, and that analysis is in this book coming out in February. Okay, so that's why it's important to write your congresswoman or your congressman, right? Yeah. Though also, I think there's a little more rationale for the the fake devil planet. I was thinking but, yeah. about that as well. But but, but no. But beyond beyond that, yeah, he really makes a solid case for just how we end up achieving these uh, these different scientific programs and what is really the motivator there. And again, that's what's one of the brilliant things about Tyson. He's not blind to these economic and political realities mm-hmm. when talking about the future of science. Because I mean, we would all like for the, you know, it just to be like, yes, rah-rah science, rah-rah discovery. Because in our heart, I feel like uh, we all feel that way. Certainly if you're listening to, to this podcast, you, you have at least a little of that in you. But, you know, thus is the world and we well, must move through the world. That's right. And pure science is is like sitting down to a, a blank page, right, and mm-hmm. just creating just for, for creativity's sake. Whereas applied science, you know, you sit down to that blank page and you know who your sponsors are and what's going to come of it. So yeah. it's a little bit disheartening to think of it that way, but it is a really pragmatic way right. to understand why civilizations further their cultures, right? Yeah. What uh, Dr. Tyson has to say, remi- I can't help but be reminded of the uh, documentary on origami between the folks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, that's a situation where you had uh, mathematicians who were just yes. really into origami, not just like, oh, I made a swan, but like really complex origami problems that have to be tackled from a mathematical standpoint. Mm-hmm. And in that regard, it's purely academic. Like, like on one level, there is no application for the heavy mathematical study of origami. But uh, these guys uh, reached the point where they figured uh, where where their findings did have applications in the real world, such as in uh, uh, how we fold a parachute or uh, solar sails, solar sails and satellites. Mm-hmm. But, but like Tyson says, it's there's an indirect link. And for the most part, uh, people were blind to in, indirect links, certainly in politics. Yeah. There you go. So we had just one final question uh, that we had to ask Dr. Tyson. And here, here it is. Julie, here's Julie asking it and uh, us getting an answer. A burning question. Burning. Wooly mammoths, bring it back oh. <laughs> or leave it alone. <laughs> I, I, if you can bring it back, bring it back. Sure. Uh, I don't know that it would know how to survive. Uh, here's the problem. You bring back a woolly mammoth just in time for global warming. You know, that's cruel. <laughs> bring back something that likes hot weather. <laughs> <laughs> Not the mammoth who thrived on the on the glacial coverage of North America. So I think it's inevitable. Whether we want to do it or not, somebody's going to do it. And uh, sure. So, so in other words, I'm indifferent to that. I, I don't have an opinion one way or another. It's going to happen. And when it happens, I won't even stand in judgment of it. I'll just say, okay, uh, it's, it was inevitable. And... Uh, you know, they, we should have some foresight about what it means to bring it back. Do you bring back a male and a female? They're mammals, so I presume they made it sexually. Do you keep it in a zoo? Do you set it loose in the northern uh, northern Canada? Like, what do you do? You know, it'd be nice if we sort of thought that through. So there you go. Bring it back. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. According to Tyson, why not? Yeah, well, but he, he are just caution. He's, you know, he's not no, no, you're right. He's not. He's not saying just you know wholesale. Let's start selling them at uh, PetSmart. Yeah. Um, you know, not until we have a miniature version that can that can live indoors and, and be potty trained. 
for sure. So we'd like to thank Dr. Tyson for taking the time to talk with us. It was a real honor and uh, privilege to get to chat with him a little bit there. And uh, if you would like to learn more from Dr. Tyson, you should definitely check out his radio show, his podcast, which you can find on startalkradio.net. That's startalkradio.net. You can also check out his new book when it comes out in February. Again, that's going to be called Space Chronicles. Yep, and uh, you can also find him on Nova, right? Yeah, and, and pretty much everywhere. Yeah, I was about to say, just turn on the TV, you will find him. Uh, but yeah, it was it was great to be able to interview him, and uh, we appreciate it. We hope that you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, let us know what you think. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We are Blow the Mind on both of those, and you can drop us an email at blowthemind at howstuffworks dot com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Yeah.